0: Welcome to the Legally Speaking podcast powered by Kassoon Carr. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week I'm delighted to be joined by the happy solicitor Jay Zahota. Jay is a senior partner at Jarman Solicitors who've been providing world-class legal advice to their clients for over 150 years. Jay read law at Cambridge University and trained with Allen & Overy in London before spending several years at city firms as a commercial litigation lawyer. He's acted for the likes of Ryanair and Tesco's. Jay's motto at Jarman's is that we have an exceptional Exceptional team providing exceptional client care. So, a very big welcome, Jay. Morning. How are you, Rob? Good to speak to you. Very well, very well. And um, it's great that I'm speaking to a, a happy solicitor. Given the uh, the current times, we have an icebreaker question on the the legally speaking podcast that you may be uh, familiar with, but it's uh, it's around the the TV show Suits. So, um, we ask every guest um, on the scale of one to ten, 10 being very real. How real do you rate the TV series Suits? Well, that's
1: an interesting question. I have to caveat my answer by saying that my wife and I did watch probably series one to three or seasons one to three. It's American, isn't it? Um, And then we stopped watching because it became unrealistic. That probably partly answers your question, really. And it became more of a political, sexual drama um, than a real-life legal drama, really. On on a scale of one to ten, how realistic? I suppose bits of it are realistic, and it depends which area you practice in. So, some of the litigation stuff I watch and think this is really good because it reflects real life strategy and decision making, and you know the twos and pros of litigation every day. So, I'd probably say about four. I think.
0: Yeah, I think I think fours for probably uh, some people give it a little bit higher based on they like a bit of Hollywood. But if you're going on the realism, you, you're probably about right with uh, with a four. Um, but look, there's so much we we need to get through, you know, throughout your, you know, I'd love to hear more about your sort of illustrious career. Um, but let's sort of go right the way back. Do you want to sort of tell listeners a bit about your 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 sort of background and your, your your sort of upbringing, firstly? Yes, of course.
1: I was born in Kent, um, and I never actually wanted to be a lawyer to start off with. I was either going to be a magician because I was uh semi-professional as a magician uh when I was growing up. So I went with my Aunt to Hamleys when I was six years old, fell in love with magic because I bought a Paul Daniels magic set and wanted to be a magician, basically, um, or a weather forecaster. Um, when I realised there probably wasn't any money in either, um, I was speaking to one of my aunts, I was probably about 15 at the time, and she said, have you ever considered A, going to Cambridge? And I chuckled and I thought, well, nobody, nobody I know has ever been to Cambridge, that's not going to happen, um, or B, um, becoming a lawyer. And um, the first time that either of those um, ideas had um uh, come across my mind. Nobody would ever mentioned them to me. I certainly have not thought of them on my own um, initiative. Um, and she said, look, you like arguing, you like putting forward an argument, you're articulate. Um, why not try it? And I did. I mean, it sowed the seed and I worked really hard, um, did well at school um, and uh, went to Cambridge, read law, enjoyed it. And uh, I'm probably one of the few lawyers who read law and is actually a lawyer. A lot of them um, start by doing history or something similar and then end up being lawyers. Um, but I read law at Cambridge um trained in the city at and all the stories are true. It is, um, it is that sort of firm. It's um, a bit akin to suits in the sense that we were, were talking about just now. And I, I can't say so that I particularly enjoyed it. But of course, the training was, was magnificent. You know, one of the best firms in the world. You know, it, it grounded my career. Then, so I, I actually qualified into corporate and commercial uh, the seat. And um, I didn't enjoy it at all. I, I remember the first time I was presented with a bit of work by the partner in the department, in the corporate department. He brought me a set of, um, I think it was agendas and board minutes. And I thought, God, I can't do this for the next 40 years. I really can't. And then I hopped back to my training contract and thought, well, I should have been a litigator. And then I moved to Howry, which was um, the US law firm at the time to do litigation, which was wonderful because I was doing all sorts of international litigation, really challenging stuff. I remember my first day there, um, one of the juniors brought in 40 or 50 files into my room and just piled them up around the room. And they went, this is your first case. And I said, well, OK, what's it about? Expecting some contractual dispute or something. And they said, oh, it's a bit of credit Link note fraud litigation. I thought, great, what's that? And um, obviously, as litigators do, I had to get on top of it overnight. And um, it ended up being immensely enjoyable. I was working on largely that case for about two and a half years, really. We had proceedings going on in lots of different jurisdictions, um, really good fun, fantastic training. You know, it covered all the areas of litigation that you could hope for, strategy, tactics, the law, the academia. And it set me up really for the rest of my um, life and litigation. Um, so I was at Howery for a while, then Lawrence Graham, and then Pittman's out in Reading, which was wonderful, had a wonderful time at Pittman's in Reading, had a really fantastic head of um, dispute resolution, Sue O'Brien, who actually was um, probably my first mentor. I know that we talk about mentors a lot, don't we, in our careers. Um, and she was my first mentor who said to me, look, have you ever thought about doing this yourself you know, having your own firm one day? And at the time, as with many wise words spoken by people, I had no idea what she was talking about, really. I liken her to my granddad, who throughout my life, and he's been a very, very big influence on my life and career. Um, he said to me, well, again, when I was growing up, everything in life is about respect. Again, at the time, I didn't know what he was talking about, really. And now I think it's true. I mean, particularly given the times we're going through, everything is about looking after each other, respect, treating people well, um, trying to do the best that you can for yourself and for others. It's also part of my seek faith, etc. Um, but coming back to Sue, you know, fantastic boss at Pittman's. Um, and then once I'd been out in Reading, I thought I back out to Kent. And to cut a long story short, um, I had my own litigation firm for a year um, and then took over Jarmans in July 17 and um, haven't looked back really. It's been an interesting um, nearly three years at Jarmans. It's gone very quickly,
0: it's been great fun. Good stuff. And we have a lot of people that are obviously listening to the podcast from all levels of the legal career and even further afield. But one of the things we like to find out from lots of people who particularly have broken into sort of top US magic circle firms, you know, how did you go back, um, you know, looking back, how did you secure your training contracts at the time? And how did you handle any sort of rejections? And what advice would you give to people um, who are perhaps, you know, t- given the current COVID-19 situation, you know, about how they could maybe think about applying um, for those training contracts?
1: Good question. Actually, it was actually a bit easier in my day. Um, I don't mean to diminish the achievements of those who were applying around the time that I was, but you know, we had the milk ground. The law firms will come to your university and sell themselves to you. You know, come and join A and O or Link or give a chance or whatever. Um, whereas now, um, I, I think times have changed and it is more more difficult. Um, depending on you know where you go to university or background, um, I know there are lots of initiatives to try and get different. Um, um types of people into those training contracts, and there does need to be a bit more of an effort in that in that respect, but I'm not going to get into that that whole argument. that's a whole other podcast, isn't it, really? But I mean, the only thing that I did, um and it's all I've ever known really, was to just work really hard at it. you know, keep doing it. Um, don't take rejection, um just keep trucking on. I mean, I didn't have the benefit of really of anybody in my family who was a lawyer or even anybody as a close friend who was a lawyer or who'd done before when I was um, seeking to do then, so i relied on gut instinct, really. You know, I, I talk about gut instinct a lot in, in my career. And I know that you do too, as a fellow entrepreneur, it's about gut instinct, doing, doing the right thing, just keeping on, not giving up, um, not taking no for an answer. And I just applied to as many firms as I possibly could and tweaked the application for each firm to suit, to suit each firm, which is obviously very important. Um, and again, I didn't have anybody sitting on my shoulders telling me what to do. I just worked hard and worked very hard in the applications to get that the personal statement section of the application, but I still brought back memories now, Rob, having drafted these statements. I was sitting in my <laughs> parents' dining room in 2001, I think it was drafting these applications, um, and to you know, tip bits out very different now, obviously, with technology, etc. But I just worked really hard and um, wrote very good personal statements, which brought in all of my experience, what I wanted to do, why I wanted to do it talking about different achievements, et cetera, talking about the firm, you know, tapping into why I wanted to go to that particular firm, et cetera. And I, d- I don't think, really think there was any, any magic about it, aside from working really hard, uh, presenting yourself as best as you possibly could. I mean, it's slightly different now because I think people do it a different way. They, again, depending on where, where you are in terms of which university you've been to, who you know, who you associate with, a lot of people, I get them um, regularly, are approaches from um students, um LPC students, et cetera, saying, can we apply for a training contract at your firm? So I think a lot of people are doing it via contacts now, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. So that might be the way to go about it these days. Um, and I think it's that mixture of the the academic side of it, you know, doing your very best with the application and then also potentially doing it via contacts. But as I say it's very hard to get a training contract these days. So you need to make use of your connections. I think back in the day it probably would have been frowned upon to do that sort of thing. But now actually I mean, we know a lot about networking, don't we? And, you know, contacts and referrers and working with each other and passing work to each other. It works in very much um, a similar sort of way. So why not make use of your connections as long as you're working hard and presenting yourself in the best way at the same time and drafting the best application that you can. So it's a combination of working hard and luck and contacts, I suppose, these days. But it's, it's not easy. The world has changed.
0: Yeah, no. And that's one of the themes you know, throughout the podcast and every sector and everyone we've had in, you know, networking, you just can't underestimate the value of networking, putting yourself out there and going the extra mile. So I'm glad you've kind of highlighted that as well. Um, but I'm sure lots of people will be fascinated to know more about your your journey. You touched on some of the firms that you've kind of gone from A you know, big city law firm. Um, did you firstly did you always want to be an upper partner in a law firm, and and then secondly did you always want to sort of take over and have your own firm as well? Were they abs- ambitions you had from the start, or was it kind of you were going to see how it all went?
1: That's a good question. I think your aims and ambitions change, don't they? As you get, like, as you go through your career. I, th- I think when I started a you know obviously the magical vision is to become a partner there and uh you know earn these multi-million pound salaries or whatever but i think the longer i spent in the city i I realized that it probably wasn't what i wanted to do staying in the city um particularly when i you know i mentioned Sue o'brien who said to me actually why don't you think of doing something a bit different um so i think we all start with this ambition and this goal and then you know not um to um, besmirch those bigger firms at all They're, they're wonderful places but when i looked around me at the partners who were you know, getting through divorce or having heart attacks or not able to spend time with their family or traveling all the time and have no work-life balance at all. I thought, great, they're earning multi-million pound salaries, but they're not really having quality of life or spending time with their with their family. So it probably isn't what I want to do. And also, you can't really make your mark. I mean, even if you're a partner in a big city firm, you are still a small cog in a big will, in a very big will in, in those respects. Um, so I wanted to make more of a mark and And be a leader and manage a team and make an imprint on a firm and do my own thing in my own way, which you can't do within the shackles of a a big city firm, no matter how high high up you are, you're still within that hierarchy and within that big machine. Um, So I think initially I did want to do it and then my my ambitions changed. Um, And they did probably change around the time um, that I was at the likes of Pittman's. I realized there were different types of firm, there were different ways of doing things. And I'm really pleased that I went through those different types of firm I think, and this is probably a a word of wisdom to those who are going to enter the legal profession, don't get stuck in one particular type of firm and think that is your life and that is the world around you because you need to have seen different types of firms, of people, of practices, of subject matter, topics, um, service sectors, et cetera, et cetera, to work out what you really want to do. Because often, again, you will know this as a fellow entrepreneur, you don't know what you want to do until you know what you don't want to do, if that makes sense um so you've got to have gone through things that well actually i've tried it but i know that wasn't for me now so it was a bit similar with me and the city firm thinking actually they you know wonderful time wonderful backing and grounding to my career but that isn't really where i wanted to stay i wanted to be somewhere like a pitman's but smaller doing my own thing running my own firm so once that seed was implanted um kind of later in my career about 2009 2010 and then everything i did after that was with that goal probably of heading towards having my own firm so after I was at Pittman's uh, and Fisher Meredith, I then came back out to Kent um, and set up a litigation department in a in a smallish Kent firm. So I wanted to see how that went, managing people, setting up a department, you know, um, bringing in new work. I'd never rain mate before that. So that would taught me how to bring work and network all things that we've been talking about. Um, and then having my own firm taught me that compliance side of it and run your own firm and finances and, you know, contacts and structure um, an organization within a law firm. Um, so it sort of got me ready to, take over and run Jarman's, basically. So to answer your, that was a very long answer, um, but the short answer is that I started out with a an aspiration of a city career, but ended up with something different. And when people say to me now, God, why are you stuck in City Mall, running a firm in City Mall, instead of um, Alan Overy? I said, you know, I actually feel more fulfilled now because I'm doing things in my own way. And every day is an achievement because I'm leading a team, managing a team, attracting work, thinking about structure, organization, finances, human resources, you know, very
0: very busy every day, and you just can't do that in those bigger firms. It's different, and it's more fulfilling. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think look, let's let's address the you know maybe the elephant in the room or or the stigma because you know I'm I'm a big advocate of London. Obviously, all my businesses are in London, but I'm actually a Midlands man, and you know I think there's so much more to business just outside of London as well. So you know, some people listening may be like, well, that's great, but you know, you're not doing London city work. You're not doing you know the quality isn't out there. I have to be in London. It's the only place I can be. Um, you know, what do you say to that?
1: No, that's not true at all. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, actually. If I if I knew that I, I either wasn't in a position or couldn't be in a position where we weren't attracting and doing good quality work, which is comparable with the work in the city, then I wouldn't be doing it at all, basically, because I'd be selling myself short, really. And part of the reason why I did want to do what I'm doing at Jarman's is that I reconstituted really the sort of work we were doing. I mean, it's a, it's a good firm with a, um, a, an old reputation, a very longstanding reputation, but I wanted to tweak the areas that we were doing. So when I took over, the biggest areas were property, private client, really, and a little bit of um, family work. And we didn't really do as much commercial work, litigation work, the quirkier property stuff that you find in the bigger firms and in the city firm. And I thought, why can't a small Kent firm do That sort of thing, it's about the people at the end of the day. I mean, a firm isn't some magical entity um, that sits above everything else and means that you can only attract a particular type of work. That firm is a function of its people, as you know. Um, so, why not attract and try and attract that bigger, better quality work with exceptional client care and really good people delivering it? And what I say here is that, and you mentioned my motto at the start, we do have exceptional people here delivering exceptional client care. And a lot of us here are ex city. I mean, I'm ex um Barry, um, who's the old owner of the firm. Very close partner here is um, ex Manches Ed, who's in our property department. Um, ex Charles Russell Tom, who's in my litigation department. Thomas Edgar. So we've got really good quality ex city people here, and they're very happy to work in the regions so because they get a better work-life balance. Um, and we are providing that quality, which is comparable with the city firms, but at better rates. So what I say to my clients is, we're going to get a city service here, but at non-city rates. So why wouldn't you choose our sort of firm? And it takes time. Don't get me wrong; it does take time, but we are. By building those connections and attracting that sort of work, we are doing work which is comparable with the city work. I mean, for example, we've got on a mixture of um, work in my litigation department at the moment. Yes, some of it's small civil stuff, but some of it's very big um, international commercial litigation, which is akin to the sort of work I'd be doing in these bigger firms. The difference really is that you'd have mega, mega, mega big cases in some of the bigger firms and have, I don't know, 20 or 30 people working on a case. Um, do I necessarily want that huge, huge, huge work at my firm? It'd be lovely to have it. and. Um, uh, in the past, we have one uh, bits of work which are akin to that, but um, either we do those in-house or we partner with other firms, and we can still work on that sort of work. But um, again, if you, if you have a a piece of work which is too big, um, then it's going to take up the whole firm basically, and actually that reduces the flexibility to some extent. I want more of a um, a mixture in terms of the makeup of work that we do to keep it exciting, really. Um, so yes, we can do the quality work, and we do it. Better than the city firms. I've been up against all the big firms, and it's funny the, the question um, you raised about the stigma. Because um, I, when I first came out again, I was up against the likes of Bird and Bird and Clyde and Co. on bits of litigation. You can tell that they're thinking, um, "What is this little so and so out in Sticks and Kent going to do to us?" But you know, I, I beat them all um, on those cases because I played them at their own game. I knew about the strategy and the tactics. I'd been at a big firm. Um, and they presume that I wasn't as good as as they were, but actually we are as good as they are, and we do a really good job in look after our clients.
0: Yeah, no, well said. Because you know you have worked on you know small to very large, you know multi-million, billion litigation claims. So you know across a range of clients. So you know people listening in, you know do consider career opportunities outside of London if they present themselves to you. If you're looking for something slightly different, because you can still get the quality of work um, available to you. So so really well done in kind of articulating that. I think that's very very helpful. Thank you, appreciate- um, Couple of things I want to talk about in terms of the, the sort of natural networking piece and getting yourself out there in your own brand because tell us more about your your recent sort of other podcast appearances because I think you're on the leaders council podcast alongside Sir Andrew Strauss so tell people a bit more about your general networking and that podcast. Thank you,
1: um, well I like getting out there, I like meeting people and talking as you can probably um, tell from this podcast. But I like So my aunt was right wasn't you back in the day, I do like um, talking to people um, I mean, everything is about people and relationships and communication, as you know yourself, Rob. Well. And it's it, it's it's not something you can necessarily learn, but you have to hone it, hone the skill over time in terms of where it fits within your career. So again, harking back to my time at Pittman's, I'd never done any networking at all um, when I was at those sorts of firms. Again, that's something about the big city firms. You don't really tend to get the opportunity to get out there and network and bring in work and you know build relationships, et cetera. And it's maybe something that I thought was missing, really. And, and you know, you build up different facets of your personality and your experience over time, don't you? So when I came out to Kent, it was completely new to me. I remember this was in 2012 um, when I first came back out to Kent, started in um, the Kent firm where I set up a litigation department and wanted to um, bring in work, which is, is alien to most lawyers going out, networking, building relationships, getting in work, because usually the higher up partners in the big city firms do that. I had to do it for myself at that stage. So I was sent out to, to bring in work i knew i had to do it because my my salary was dependent on it actually when i when i first came out to kent so i had to get out there and network and it's again it's an art it's a skill but i love it i love it and I, the reason i love it is it's about helping other people um again as you know yourself from a family networker it's about helping other people i never see it as selling it is about helping each other it's about referring work to other people it's about looking out for contacts and clients for them and you know what? If something comes out of it at the end of the day for me, great. If it doesn't, at least I'll help somebody. And in a way that harks back to my faith because I, I'm Sikh and um, a big um, tenet of my religion is, is helping other people without any expectation of any gain for yourself. As I know it is for many other people and, and you know, people of all religions and no religions. So I love networking for that reason. That's why I call myself the happiest list. Right? And I was networking down in, in Kent um, a couple of months ago and somebody said to me, God, Usually solicitors are, you know, quite staid, um, boring old types, who, you know, wearing brown and grey ties or whatever. And they said, you're actually happy. And I, you know, I wear colourful socks all the time. I'm sitting here with my spotty socks on today. and It's become a bit of a hallmark for me. But I love going out, mixing with people, making people happy, you know, building relationships. And that's what I started doing when I was out in Kent. And it, it makes the world go round. It really does. I spend a lot of my time uh, meeting other people, networking with others, um, referring work to other law firms, you know, they refer work back to me and that and I and other professionals, and it just works really well. You never know how you can help somebody or where the next bit of work's gonna come from. Um and in that vein, I was connected recently with um it was a parliamentary review. Um within that they have the Leaders' Council. And um there was an opportunity to do a podcast on leadership alongside Sir Andrew Strauss, um, as you as you noted. Um and um it was great fun. It was um kind of 15, 20 minutes um, a couple of weeks ago. And they ask me lots of questions about leadership and how I do things and how I motivate my team, etc. And I just like helping others. And even that, if if that's helped somebody to think, do you know, what, this is what I want to do, or this is how I need to lead or work with my team, and if it's implanted something in somebody's mind and helped somebody, great. I didn't do it for any reward or expectation of any gain. I did it because I enjoy doing that sort of thing. And similarly, here we do quite a bit of stuff with local charities. You know, we like to get out in the local community and help people. And um, it's I think that's a very important part of what we need to do. And it's an important part of of our duty in life, as we see with what's going on around us at the moment. you know, Look at the amazing sense of community that's come out of people helping each other. People aren't doing it because they want anything in return. They're doing it to genuinely help other people. And it puts things in perspective. And I enjoy
0: it. Absolutely. And, and well said once again. I think, you know, I always take the view, you know, always add value to everyone and expect nothing back. And then you can, A, be never disappointed and you should intrinsically take a lot of self value from that. So I think that echoes what you're, you're saying there. And just to sort of touch on leadership, you know, it is a tough time for everyone as well. And, you know, it's all, it's great. And, you know, you and I are very eternal optimist positivity. i talked <laughs> about the other happy solicitor and that's the way you brand yourself. And that just brings so much joy to someone like me in terms of even speaking to you today on this podcast. Um, But bringing that into the day to day of sort of, you know, managing a business or running a law firm during COVID 19, you know, how are you actually finding that? How are you motivating your people? How are you keeping the wheels
1: going? It's hard. I won't lie to you. It is hard. I mean, I remember that first day that um, Boris announced the um, lockdown, you know, almost exactly three, just over three weeks ago, isn't it really? Um, And on that Monday, I mean, it was such a stark contrast. On that Monday was, I, I think, we had the most number of inquiries we'd had in. In uh, a number of years, actually, really busy day. And as soon as that announcement was made on that Monday night, things changed. On that Tuesday, the world almost changed overnight. On the Tuesday, so we weren't used to working remotely. I mean, as you as you know, even me setting up this uh, call was a bit of a, a nightmare technologically for me because I'm not a techie person necessarily. I've got used to it. That's part of the lesson. You have to adapt. So that day on that Tuesday, we suddenly thought, right, what do we do? And it was a mixture of panic and fear and uh, actually planning. I mean, your adrenaline kicks and you plan and think, right, let's calm down how are we going to do it? We're all going to work from home now. I mean, there's a core of us still coming into the office, but most of us are going to be working from home. And actually, I was really impressed with my team. You know, I always talk about how amazing my team are. And they really were because we had a big team meeting on that Tuesday morning. I'd emailed them the night before and said, um, we're going to meet at 10 o'clock and discuss what we're going to do. And um, it wasn't me sitting there preaching and saying, right, this is how we're going to do it or else. It was information sharing and you know, gathering ideas and supporting each other and saying, look, this is how I think we should do it. We'll have a core of us still coming into the office to keep things ticking over in terms of the post inquiries, et cetera, and the rest will work remotely. And they took to it like a you know, duck to water, really. I mean, they've done really, really, really well. Um, it's not easy because I love, as I mentioned earlier, I love going around and meeting people and speaking to my team every day and asking them how they are because different people have different switches and different things that they like and different things that turn them on, so to speak um and it's more difficult to tap into all of that when they're working remotely but what i do try and do is a couple of things one is i i speak to most of them every day speak or email or make some contact with the with each of my um staff every day so i'm talking to them all regularly They know that i'm here for them and there are no barriers or anything they're never afraid to ask me any questions so we um we, we have a chat every day and the other thing i thought about recently which is quite novel you'll probably agree is that we now have a call a couple of times a week we have a big firm call um and we had the first one a couple of weeks ago so we've had three since and we just discussed a topic which is non-work related um so the first one we did was what is your favorite meal so the first one what's your favorite meal don not allowed to talk about work at all um so everybody comes on and says what their favorite meal is and then it goes on to the next person and why and what's then we like have another one yours that put you on the spot well i'm by very english on my taste actually you'll be surprised my wife will chastise me but uh mine was prawn cocktail um i'm very 70s 80s in my taste. so prawn cocktail then fish and chips with baked beans oh, and coleslaw delicious um god i'm getting hungry now thinking about it um, and then a jack. A jam roly-poly with lots of custard because it kind of harks back to my childhood, you know, growing up, school dinners, all that malarkey. Nowadays, school dinners are very, very healthy. I talk to my kids and they say, oh yeah, jelly and fruit today or something. Yeah. Yeah, you need some proper, proper dessert, you know, chocolate, that sponge. it's a Party meal right there, you know. I'm it is, busy. isn't it, really? Um, <laughs> so it, it's those sorts of topics that we talk about, you know. And the one um, yesterday that we had was who do you fancy and why? Um... So that was really entertaining, really entertaining. So these topics that, you know, just take people out of their, of their selves. And, you know, some people are finding it hard working at home because there's no division between work and home. You know, one of my staff said, well, my bed is next to my desk. And I don't feel as I'm I'm doing anything different. It all just blurs into one. Um, and these sorts of calls have really helped those staff who may be feeling a bit down or they're not enjoying working at home. You've got the converse. Some of them love working at home. So they're not distracted at all. And they, they're actually much more productive there. So it's, in a way it's a good thing because it's enabled me to get to know my staff even better. I know who likes working from home, who doesn't you know what's the best way of communicating with them, and that will inform a lot of do uh, well, a lot of what we do when we get out to the other side of this because I will then say to some of them, hang on, if you like working from home, why not work from home for good if you, if you enjoy that and you're more productive and you're happier there, no travel and you're getting on with stuff and you enjoy it more, so why not do that and others I then know how to change the way possibly that i communicate with them do they prefer calls to emails do they prefer yeah, you know talking to me at a particular time of day etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's it's not a bad thing because we're learning a lot about each other um and it's as i say it's not easy but it's it's um keeping in touch with people and then having these lighter moments because i think humor is is a huge tool um a huge 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 relief and tool which gets us through the toughest times and the hence my monica the happy Solicitor, because humor is really important. Humour, faith, hard work are really important things.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm I'm definitely going to be asking about the great magician and singing uh before we wrap up but before that i just want to talk a bit about your your memberships again just an extension of you getting busy putting yourself out there um you know what how you would encourage other people you know things to get involved with obviously you've got the institute of directors you know the federation of small businesses just want to talk talk a bit about
1: that yeah that's interesting actually i mean i um it's funny when i first started networking i would go to the opening of an envelope and you do then hone it over time and you work out which ones are good and which ones aren't um but my my um, lesson really is to try all networking really when you start because you, you need to find out what's suitable for you so try a bit of everything and see what works and I usually structure it so that I have one kind of fixed form networking such as BNI I know there'd be groans going up around the country because people some people don't like BNI but I think BNI is a great instrument I really do um, and I've just rejoined a new chapter actually I've um, rejoined Tunbridge Wells BNI so I've been a BNI member for 11 years now, so gosh, that's a long time, isn't it? More than a decade. Uh, and I love being nice. So I'd always suggest having one fixed form networking, which you're going to regularly, um, and then ad hoc networking, you know, stuff that you mentioned, like the IOD or the FSB, which have been really good. I mean, particularly the local FSB down in Kent. Alison Palmer runs the Kent branch of the FSB, and they do a lot actually in the community. They've been really good. And I'm one of their ambassadors. I go about and um, help others, and um, we have events together. I've done some networking at the firm. And um, I get involved in their initiatives and um, want to do more with them on the coaching leadership side so that 's been really good fun and again, some of the local i o d stuff down in Kent is really good i mean there 's a, a session which meets um, at a hotel down here um, every Friday or, or did before all this happened, um, which was um, knowledge sharing amongst professionals and helping each other in that leadership sense so that 's been really good. so The idea of being again locally have been have been really really good and then on top of that networking, which is a bit more informal, you know going to ad hoc stuff. Um, as we know, it's all about one-to-ones. It's setting up meetings with people and having one-to-ones with people who you think you can help. And um, again, if you get something out of it, fine. If you don't, it's not the end of the world. At least you helped somebody. I love all that kind of stuff. But it's you're right. It's good to have some structured stuff like the FSB and the IOD, um, which have been really good. And I must also take my hat off to um, the Kenton Victor Chamber of Commerce because um, they've been fantastic. You know, Kaz MacLean is the um, local rep for them down here, and she's fantastic. A really good woman, really good connector. Um, so she's helped me a lot in my business too. So you've got really good people within those sorts of organizations, the FSB, IOD, um, BNI, KICC, which are very good. And they they do then um, make sure the structure is looked after and
0: they're helping other people. And so they're, they're, they're a good thing. They really are. Great stuff. And just as my my, my final question, we, we talk a lot about niche in uh, legal services and any business. So I'm I'm sure you have a niche here, Jay. I mean, a Cambridge educated, Aaron obi trained, top city lawyer now runs his own firm. And just to add to that, a great magician and singer. So come <laughs> on, watch your uh, watch your uh, you know your, your best trick. It's probably quite hard to articulate over a podcast, but. Um, you know, if you were trying to razzle and dazzle people, what's your sort of go-to trick that people maybe can uh, can uh, can listen to or watch online? Well, oh, that's
1: interesting. I should say my best trick is being able to sing. How do you know about singing, by the way? I think my wife has been talking
0: to you, hasn't she? My, my my production team does so much research. I can't take the credit for this, but uh yeah, I, 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 sources tell me. So, what's your go-to song and what's your favourite magician trick? Oh, that's funny, isn't it? I don't know where they would have picked up on this. They're obviously very thorough. They're giving. Hercule Poirot
1: run for his money, aren't they? That's very <laughs> good. Um, but no, it's, it's interesting. Although I was a semi-professional magician, I love my magic. I can sing, but I would never sing in public. It's really bizarre. So if you were to ask my wife and my kids, they keep saying, go on X-Fan, you're a really good singer, acceptor, but I would never sing on, in public. And this is the weird dichotomy that you will know about. Even though I network and I sing and I do magic, um, I'm actually very shy. I, th- I think I'm very shy. But in terms of the magic, I'm trying to think of my um, best trick. It's probably, gosh, probably one of the tricks that I've invented myself. And I was showing my kids this um, trick at the weekend. And you're right, it's very hard to impart over um, a podcast, but I basically lay out all the cards. It's a normal deck of cards. They get to choose a card freely from this deck of cards. Um, I then get them to shuffle the card back into the pack. Um, And then I not only reveal their card, but their card is a different color from the rest of the cards. And then I show that all the other cards are blank and then I make the pack disappear. So it's a combination of about two or four different tricks, actually, which I've molded together over my career and kind of put it together. I don't have as much time to invent my own tricks anymore, but I, I like kind of putting different twists on tricks and possibly putting a few tricks together to make a bigger trick. And that's an example of that, really. But uh, I mean, the reason I love magic, it's, it's a release from the stresses of everyday life and I really need to do more to get back into it. I mean, whenever I go home at the end of the day, my kids always say to me show us a trick show us a trick and um, I think it's it might prompt me to get back into it actually maybe I could do magic and sing and eat Jam ruddy Pony at the same time that would be good wouldn't it
0: and on that note, we have to uh, we have to say I'm well up for that. But Jay, um, <laughs> listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're a bundle of joy. You really are the happy us. Thank so thanks so much for taking the time to join us today and sharing your journey and all your insights and keeping constant positivity. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll see you feature again. And wishing you and your law firm and all of your extra pursuits um, tons and tons of success. So from all of us,
1: thanks so much. Thank you, Rob. Really good speaking to you.